Well, it's certainly good to be here this evening after traveling down here in some places, a little questionable roads, but the Lord gave safety as I traveled. We want to give him the praise for that this evening. And so it's good to be here, and we bring you greetings this evening in the name of the Lord Jesus, the one whose name we want to exalt, the one who has brought salvation to us, the one who is eternal, the one who is unchanging. In Hebrews 13, 8, it tells us there that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I, I live in a world, we live in a world, and I, I think as I get older, I look at a lot of the things that are changing. Now, we live in a society that is increasingly hostile to the gospel and to, to Christianity, and uh, not only in an open way, but uh, many times in a, in a very covert way. You know, you have a lot of philosophies and doctrines that are being carried today as truth that are contrary to the word of God. And, you know, these things are, you know, sometimes when I look at them, I, they, they kind of trouble me as I look at the coming generation and the pressures they face. Um, but to me, it's, it's certainly a blessing to know that we have a God who is unchanging, a Savior who is unchanging, the one who has given us his word, which is unchanging. And so this evening we can again be refreshed and encouraged in the word of God. You know, the, the things of God don't change. And he tells us in Hebrews 13, 9, the very next verse to the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He tells us there that we're not to be carried about by divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. You know, so as we gather together these next several evenings, uh, we want to establish our hearts in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to establish ourselves in the truths of his word, uh, grow in his doctrines, grow in his teachings. And as we do that, it's going to safeguard us from the philosophies and the spiritual deceptions that the Lord told us are going to be a part of the last days. You know, these things should not surprise us because, you know, uh, all through the, the New Testament scripture, you know, we're given warning that the last days are going to be days of deception. They're going to be days of people turning away from the Lord. And uh, so we don't need to be discouraged in that. But I believe because of that, we need to gather together. Uh, we live in a we live in somewhat of a harsh environment, and therefore it's a necessity that we gather together and center our hearts around the word of God and be established and anchored and rooted and, and to be encouraged to continue on faithfully, patiently bearing fruit for the Lord in these days in which we live. James tells us that we're to be patient uh, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, he says, or we're to think about the farmer, the husbandman, the one that takes care of the crops, of the field, he says, uh, you know, behold the husbandman, husbandman which waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until, he receive, until it receive the early and the latter rain. And I believe as we gather, uh, a time of revival would be a time of refreshing, a time of rain. And as I thought of that, you know, the early and the latter rain, uh, you know, the, the, the crops need that. And as I think of our lives, we're, we're growing, and we, 
We don't know. We, we have all age groups of people here this evening. I know some of the, as I think of that rain, I think of young people coming to salvation. And, you know, that's not an end. But, you know, all of us, as we come to salvation in Jesus Christ, we have that need to continue growing into maturity, bringing forth fruit unto perfection until the time when the Lord is going to take us out of this life. And, you know, for some of us, this week might be some of the early rain. And for some of us, it may be the latter rain. We don't know. But, you know, we are to, to be patient and bear fruit with patience until the Lord comes and takes us home. By way of personal introduction, uh, Brother Nathan already mentioned I come from Mannheim, Pennsylvania. I serve at the Pleasant View Congregation. And most of you here, I, I know there's some of you I have met before, and I did very much appreciate the directory that Brother Nathan sent me. Uh, uh, through that, I, I got acquainted with some of your faces and names. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of you are somewhat strangers to me and probably I to you. And so, you know, it's a, kind of the moment comes where, you know, you, you've been praying for the meetings, you've heard the name, and, and here we are. You know, it's uh, you kind of uh, see what you were expecting for the week. But, uh, you know, we, we uh, I trust this evening, you know, even though we've, we've not had uh, a lot of meeting before, you know, we can fellowship together around the word as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as we think of, of uh, most of you being strangers, Nathan, Brother Nathan and, uh, was at our congregation back in 2000 for a week of meetings there at Pleasant View. That was uh, the first set of revival meetings we held in the Pleasant View congregation. We had only established as a congregation uh, September before that in September of 99 and you were there in the spring of, of 2000 and we certainly appreciated those meetings. Back in that day I think there was 61 of us if we were all there and now we're uh, when everyone's there we're around 100 between 120 and 130 so uh, things have grown in the last 16 years. You know Regard to my family, I, my wife's name is Grace, and we have seven children. We have one foster son, young man that came to live with us uh, five years ago. Uh, he just got married here in October. He lived with us uh, right around straight five years, and uh, so we, with him we have eight. We have 23 grandchildren. We just had our 23rd grandchild uh, about two weeks ago, so uh, we're, we're very busy. Uh, Occupation-wise, I work for a company called Zeiss Equipment. Uh, we uh, build poultry barns and put poultry equipment in, so that's what keeps us busy when we're uh, not, uh, not uh, doing other things. So this week, I trust that as we look into the Word of God, we can be refreshed and encouraged together. This evening, the subject that I would like to think about this evening is the fear of God. We live in a society today where there seemingly is little fear of God. I found it interesting as I pondered this message and was 
uh, preparing it on Saturday morning, the daily paper came, the Lancaster newspaper, and on every Saturday there's a section in there on faith and religion. And so I often read that. I'm not, uh, a lot of times, it's, it's not, not really all that encouraging, but it does kind of give you some information on what's happening around us. And there was an article caught my eye. And it said there, uh, a people, uh, where there are people who believe in an all-knowing God that is punitive, uh, they're much more likely to be honest uh, and not cheat in games. I thought that was kind of profound. But they went on to say they, they also were people that believe in an all-knowing God who is punitive or meaning that he is just in his judgments, uh, they're going to be able to build community apart from their family unit. In other words, it gives a basis or it gives a foundation to build a secure society. And they went on to say that not only can they build a society or a a, a, a unit of people, but they will also have the ability to interrelate with other people groups. I thought for probably the money that was spent to put that survey on, it was kind of profound because we have a book here that basically tells us the same thing. But you know, today, we live in a society that largely says there is, there is no God. Or if they haven't said there is no God, they have changed what they call God to a being that is completely different than the God of the Bible. Some years ago, I was at one of my clients, and he was one of them people. He was a, he was a part of a fundamentalist Bible church there, and I don't question Jim's salvation because he was one that was forever uh, seeking truth. But one of the things that he was very steeped in the doctrines of Calvinism, and he could hardly leave go of this idea of a salvation that you can have and that you can lose. And so we, we had a lot of scriptural discussion around that, that idea. But one day, Jim, as we were talking, he said, well, one thing, he said, I, he said, one thing he said that is very discouraging for me he said, I'm a part of a church that's supposed to be a Bible-believing church. We claim to be born again. We claim to be saved. But he said, they live in sin. He said, I, I'm a part of a Sunday school group. We get together. We talk about the Lord. But he said, they live in divorce and remarriage. He said, the Bible, you know, the Bible is clear that that is sin. And he said, yet we kind of brush it aside, and, and we go on. He said one thing, he said, about the faith Arminius view of the scripture, he said it does produce holy living. And I, uh, you know, and, and, and Jim was serious about that. And I, um, like I said, I don't question, but that was, that was something he noticed. But when we come back to this idea of the fear of God today, largely in society, uh, in society at large, there is, there is no fear of God. And where there's no fear of God, there is no respect for his person. Uh, we have in our society today, his name is taken in vain on every corner. 
we have things ascribed as holy in curses that are unholy. And we, we find the name of God taken in vain again and again. The other thing that we find is that there is no respect, no regard for his word. You know, we even have gone as far in society, uh, in the modern culture around us, that the Bible is in the United States of America today on the borderline of being called hate literature. In Canada, it already is labeled as, as, a, as hate literature. And I'd like to say that's a tragedy because I believe the Bible is the greatest message of love that has ever been given to humanity. And yet because of a loss of a fear of God and a loss of reverence for his person, we've lost respect for his word and we treat it as as hate literature and, and on one extreme, but probably the, the, the problem is when it gets a little closer home, it's not necessarily hate literature. It's, it's, it's a book of knowledge, but uh, at the end of the day, it really doesn't mean what it says. You know, it's disregarded. Its truths are disregarded because there's a loss for the fear of God. Rebellion to his laws and commands and disdain for his principles and his precepts. You know, in today's society, we have the tragedy in our society today of the open gay rights movement. And brothers and sisters this evening, that, that movement is not about the privilege to live the way you want to live. But that whole movement is, is an open defiance against God. That, that, is, that is what it is because we come to a place where there is, is, is no fear of God. It's becoming an epidemic in our society and it's, and it's trickling down, it's, it's having effect on evangelical Christianity today. And I would like to say, I, I, I think I can see effects of it trickling down into our uh, Anabaptist circles as well. You know, the view of God has gone from holy to casual. You know, God, is, God is just a casual God. He's, he's no longer holy, he's no longer set apart as holy. And we look at the word holy, it has the idea that God's ways are so much above man's ways. And, and with that, the, the heart cry of God is, is that we would turn from our wicked ways that are unholy and we would repent and that we would turn to him and seek to, have, uh, to grow in his holiness. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so much so much are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, God's, what comes natural to humanity uh, is, is contrary to God. God is holy and God calls us from the life of sin and transgression into a life of holiness. And I believe this evening, one of the tragedies within churched America today is is that we no longer see God for who he is and I believe if there's going to be revival in our hearts if there's going to be burning revival it needs to start with a vision for who God is and to give him that place of fear and reverence in our life you know one of the things we see as we look at the character of God we have the 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 heart of God uh, the heart of God's love his mercies towards humanity where the, the penitent sinner can find cleansing, he can be washed and made white as snow. 
He can be freed from the guilt of sin that was weighting him down. You know, that's because of the mercies of God. But on the other hand, for those that reject God, those that turn away from him, God is a holy God. He is a righteous judge. He is going to judge iniquity uh, justly. And there, there needs to be a fear of God. First Peter, uh, if we go just a, a few verses of First Peter chapter 1, speaking of the holiness of God and and, and, and the response that it should bring in our hearts as we see him as being holy, it tells us in verse 15, he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, we need to view God as, as, as being holy and righteous in all his ways. You know, in society today, a lot of the view of God in, in evangelical circles is that God is, God is kind of like a rich grandfather that is there to just kind of give me everything that I need and, and just, just make me happy. And I'd like to say this evening that, er, that God does not exist for the glory of man. But man has been created uh, and given life by God so that we may glorify him. You know, that, is, that is the purpose for which we have created. And I believe this evening that revival comes when we see God for who he is and we see ourselves for who we are not. You know, the tendency of man is to exalt himself above God. And so this evening for a scripture reading, I invite you to the 36th Psalm. I'd like to pick up and lift a few thoughts from there and then also look at a few examples of scripture uh, in in the, the loss of the, the fear of God. And then I'd like to come back to the 36th Psalm and look at some of the attributes of God and his love and his mercies towards us. But in the 36th Psalm, verse 1, it says, The transgression of the wicked saith within his heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The word of his mouth, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit, and he hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed, and he setteth himself in a way that is not good, and he abhorreth not evil. There you see the, the heart of the man that disregards God. He has no fear of God. Life is all centered on himself and his own ways and the ways of his own thinking. Uh, in verse 5, we change the focus here, and it says, Thy mercy, O God. Now this is from the heart of one that fears God, one who sees God for who he is, one who has yielded his heart and his life to the lordship of God. It says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like a great mountain. Thy judgments are, great, are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them to drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, and thy light shall we see light. 
O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness unto the upright of heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. And then verse 12 turns again to the end of the wicked, where it talks, it says, There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down, and they shall not be able to rise. You see, the, the end of the wicked is hopeless. But we find here, as we look at this psalm, we see a contrast. There's a contrast between the man that says there is no God, there's no fear of God in his heart, and, and we see the things that that produces. On the other hand, you see the righteous man, and he sees the, the attributes of God's mercy and his goodness. And you have, coming to the end of that, you see the righteous being satisfied and and blessed with the, the things that God gives, and the, iniquity, the workers of iniquity are, uh, it says they are fallen, they are cast down, and they shall not be able to rise. And so we come back, and you see the heart of the ungodly. No fear of God before their eyes. Uh, the transgression of the wicked saith within his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. The, that word transgression there has the idea of wickedness and, and deceitfulness and defiance against God. It has the idea of, of rebellion and open sin. When a person loses sight, when he lo loses focus of who God is, that is the natural result of that person. This man has willfully hardened his heart against God. He has chosen to take the path of rebellion and sin. And it, it's, it's, it talks here about the characteristics of this man. Verse 2, it says, For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found hateful. You know, this, this individual, uh, we live in a very self-centered society today. But the natural result of a person that takes his focus off of God and who he is, then the, the essence of all of life is going to center around himself. Uh, this, this man says there is no God and he begins to flatter himself in his own eyes and he, you know, he, he, he goes on his own egos, he boasts of who he is, he, he inflates his ego with all the, the goodness and the greatness and, and he keeps doing that until it's, I believe that kind, of, that kind of conduct is hateful not only in the sight of God but it becomes something that eventually becomes despised in the hearts of men. You know, it's, it's all about the individual, and I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, maybe just a, an example of that in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our time that we live here, the time where we see the, the election debates and those kind of things going on, and uh, you see them, them men that, that they, they boast of what they can do and their great egos and how good a people they are and until it's, it's found to be hateful. And I'm not sure, you know, how much you, you follow that. I like to keep somewhat informed and, and different periodicals. And you have, uh, just a few weeks ago, you have Donald Trump, one of the candidates here at Lynchburg at, at Liberty University and, and uh, jury uh, the, the president of the, the campus there, Jerry Faldwell Jr., uh, makes the, the comments about how great and a godly a man 
Donald Trump is. And it's, it's, it's sickening to the core because when you, you unravel it uh, and you look at some of the things that Donald Trump is involved in, uh, it's very, very repulsive. Um, it, it's, you know, but, but there you have a man that's, that's inflating his ego and, and, and deceiving people. And, and the other thing that I find interesting there, if you follow some of his speeches, he makes a big ado of the fact that he is a Christian <clears throat> that he's a, Pentecost, or a, a Presbyterian and very proud of it, something to that effect. You know, it's, it's the boastful egos of man. He flattereth himself, he inflates himself with his ego until his iniquity uh, is, is, is repulsive. It says the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. You know, the man that says there is no God or a, a person that that has no fear of God, they, they've rejected who God is, uh, the, the evils just seem to multiply and go on and on. And so we, we look at, at some of these, these things today and, and this, 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 uh, this lack of fear of God, and yet, you know, we can look back in history, I mean, there's, there's several examples here from, <coughs> from the Old Testament of men that... that lived their lives, you know, exalting themselves against God and boasting against God, and suddenly they came to an end. You know, there's a lot of people that can live uh, not giving any reverence to God, not giving any respect to God, and, and they, they come to the end of life, and you see their life in, in destruction. One of the examples that I'd just like to consider this evening of a man that that didn't fear God. There's two, two examples I want to consider. And the first one is in Exodus chapter 5. We see there the man Pharaoh. You have uh, Moses in verse 1 of chapter 5. I'm going to read the first several verses there. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. So here you have an example of a man that he has no fear of God before his eyes. He's king of, he's king of Egypt. Uh, he's very smug in his position. He feels at his place and, and his authority he can, he can rebel against God. Uh, he simply openly, defiantly asks, who is the Lord that I should obey him uh, who, is his, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? And on the other hand, you have Moses standing before him as God's spokesman. And you look at the contrast between these two men. If you go back into chapter 3, just a few uh, chapters before, we see Moses there meeting God at the burning bush. And uh, you know Moses saw the, the angel there. Uh, out of the burning bush, and Moses turned aside to to see what was taking on and or taking place, and 
And Moses, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, And when Moses saw that, he turned aside to see. And God called to him out of the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, he said, Here am I. And then he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and of Moses. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then God began to speak to Moses the message. But what I'd like to see here is the, the contrast between Moses and Pharaoh. You know, God spoke, and, and Moses listened. You know, God spoke, and, and uh, Moses turned aside to see. And I don't think when, when God told Moses to take off his shoes... Because he was standing in holy ground, I don't think there was a, a, a lot of argument there or a lot of questioning about who was speaking. But Moses was one that was willing to humble himself. He was willing to see God for who he was. He said he was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And we have, we have uh, you know, if we go a little farther in that chapter, when Moses asked God who he should send that send him, uh, he says that in verse 14, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am sent me unto you. You have there a view of God. On the other hand, you have Pharaoh, Moses coming to Pharaoh with a request from God, and Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he says, I, I don't need to obey God. You know, he failed to see God for who he was. And, you know, as we think about who God is, you know, God says here to Moses, he says, I am that I am. And another place in, the, in the chapter 4, I think it is, he says there, by my name Jehovah was I not known before. But as we look at those two terms, the uh, God is the great I am. You know, God is, God is self-sufficient. He is... He is self-existent. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. We think about who God is this evening. You know, God is the one that created the world. He spoke the world into existence. He, he created everything that, that we have visible and invisible. He created uh, human life. This evening we are here because we have been created by God. And we have not been just simply a cookie-cutter pattern of people spread out across the face of the earth. But if you're here this evening, you're here because God has created you in a very special way and endowed you with, a, with, a, with, with special gifts. And he has a special purpose for each one of us here. But it's, it's up to him if we're going to surrender ourselves to this God that created the heavens and the earth. The other thing I would just like to mention as we look at God as the one who created the heaven and the earth. You know, we, we live in a day today where, where that, that whole thing is under attack. You know, I believe this evening it's so vitally important that we believe that God created the heaven and the earth in a literal six-day creation. You know, today we have the philosophies of evolution that have encroached in and, 
and uh, made people believe that there is no creator God. And then it comes into the Christian circles, you have the theistic evolution theory that says, well, yes, God was in existence, but it still took uh, God millions of years to create the earth. I would like to say this evening that if we begin to question the six-day creation, we have a lost view of who, who God is, and we no longer have a platform upon which to accept the rest of the scriptures. And I, I, I would, I, it's so vitally important this evening. God is the creator of the heaven and the earth. And if we go back into the 19th Psalm, we see David as he beheld the creation. As he saw the things that were created and the order, it caused his heart to worship the God of heaven. Now there was a sense where if we go back into Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 21, it tells us that uh, the people that rebelled against God and are living out in sin are without excuse because the, the evidence of God is, is visible in creation, even the existence of his very Godhead. You know, we, you know God has, has manifested himself as, as the creator, the creator of human life. He's the sustainer of life. And beyond that, he is the author of eternal salvation. We can look at the account where man sinned and, and, and by, by, uh, by Adam's sin, sin entered the human experience. And from that, part on, from that point on, man is, is born with a human nature, with, a, with an Adamic nature that, that sets itself against God. And that is only reversed when a person surrenders and repents and gives his heart and life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's there we find new life, new birth, to serve the Lord. We find here that Pharaoh, he, as Moses come to him and told him that he's to let the people of Israel go, he, he defiantly responded. And we know that Pharaoh, uh, as he hardened his heart, we find that we have the plagues coming into Egypt. You have the water being turned into blood. And we have the magicians imitating that. And for a while we find those things where the magicians were, were imitating the, the plagues that were coming. But you know it was interesting. The magicians of Egypt could not remove the plague that Moses, or that, through God's power, had brought on Egypt. And we finally come to the, to the, uh, the plague of lice. And the magicians of Egypt tell Pharaoh that this is the finger of God. You know, the, 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 the wise men of Egypt were waking up to the fact that they were facing a deity that was greater than all the gods of Egypt, someone that was almighty in power. And I believe in their response, you know, they were pleading with, with Moses or with uh, Pharaoh to, to consider his ways. And we have the, the plagues going on, the, the lice, the flies, the moraine and the cattle, the boils and the people, the hail, the locusts, and the death of the firstborn. And, you know, in all these things, Pharaoh continued to resist the God of heaven. And we find that finally he left Israel go, and he went on out, and he pursued them to the Red Sea, and he into the Red Sea in defiance of God. And, uh, you know, we know the account how God brought judgment on the armies of Egypt. And, uh, 
you know, I, if, if we could talk with Nebuchadnezzar, to, or with, not Nebuchadnezzar, but uh, Pharaoh this evening, would, would Pharaoh, you know, that kind of defiance against God, you know, if we could talk with him tonight, would it have been worth it? You know, what would he tell us this evening? He certainly learned to know God, but it was too late. And uh, another account that we have as an example is the example of Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, or son, it tells us in the scripture, historians would tell us, was his grandson in chapter 5 of Daniel. We know the account there how Belshazzar was partying away. No time for God. And, uh, you know, he had finally, in his drunken state, and his party spirit, he called for the temples, or for the, for the vessels that were brought out of the temple at Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, he called for them to be brought and he began to drink wine out of the vessels that were from the temple in Jerusalem. And I'm not sure I believe his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar probably recognized that they were taken from the, the temple of the God of Israel and they were, they were kept, they were set aside and they were kept, they were revered as holy because they pertained to the Israelites' worship of the holy God. Uh, the Almighty God, the Jehovah God. But we find that in his state he brought out the vessels of gold and brass and iron, wood and stone that were taken from the temple, and they partied on with them. And we finally found that, you know, there was, there again, I believe that was an open defiance to God, and he could, he could go on and do that until he saw the handwriting on the wall by the fingers that came down and began to write on the plaster of the wall. And we have here that, you know, in, it tells us here that the king's countenance was changed, his thoughts were troubled, his joints were loosened, that his knees smote one against another. You know, he went from an instant, from, from, a, from a, rebellion, a rebellion toward God, a defiance of God, to all of a sudden when God's hand wrote that message on the wall, we have the king crying out aloud in fear. And was, his countenance was changed. And I'd like to say this evening that we have a choice. You know, I think there was enough of evidence. And when Daniel was finally brought in to interpret that dream, you know, Daniel reminded him he was brought in before the king. And uh, it tells us here in verse 17, it said, And Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another, yet will I read the writing. He said, O thou king, most high, O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom of majesty and glory and honor, and for the, maj and for the majesty that he gave him, all people and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beasts of his dwelling and his dwelling was with the wild asses and they fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdoms of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will." You know, he reminds him there how God had manifested himself to his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, and yet we have here his grandson or his son Belshazzar, verse 22, 
Daniel rebukes him. He says, And thou his son Nebuchadnezzar hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this. You know, today God has given us his word. He, he tells us who he is. He tells us of his power. He tells us of his might. Tells us of his holiness. Uh, what is our response to God this evening? As we look at as, as we look again back to Psalms 36, we look at the redeemed and their view of God. You know, we can, we can see, we, you know, God wants us this evening to see him for who he is in his holiness. As we do that, as we surrender ourselves before him, we find that, you know, God is a God of mercy, Verse 5 of Psalms 36, it says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. God is a, a God of mercy to those that love him, to those that seek him. Uh, he's a, he's a, he is faithful. You know, not one, one promise of God's word is going to fail. You know, God has given us his word. You know, and, and it, it's, it's not going to change. It is faithful. God is faithful. The things that he has spoken, they will come to pass. It says his faithfulness uh, reaches unto the clouds. Verse 6, it says, thy righteousness is like a great mountain. You know, this evening we serve a righteous God. God is a God of righteousness. That means that what God does is right. You know, who are we to question the things of God. You know, God, God's ways are right. And you know, one of the things, you know, I say that it comes, some of these things that, you know, the view of God affect us today. You know, it's not, I, I hear people in our circles sometimes, uh, you know, talking about things they experienced, things they went through. And, you know, they say, you know, I had to learn to forgive God. You know, that, brothers and sisters, this evening, when we see God as righteous, God has not transgressed us. Even though he allows us to go through the fires of testing and the trials of life, he, he, he is clear that because of sin, there are going to be those trials and those tests. But God is righteous. God is holy. His righteousness, it says, is like a great mountain. And I, you know, you, you look at huge mountains and it's amazing with the earth moving equipment we have today, how much, how much you can take off of a hill and fill into a valley. But you know, when you look at some of the great mountains that there are, there's, there's no way of moving that mountain and making it a valley with the, the things that we have. It, I think when it talks here of God's righteousness, it's talking about something that is, is never going to go away. Uh, God is righteous in all his ways. His judgments are a great deep. You know, today, brothers and sisters, people can go before judges of our land. Uh, they can be bought off with bribes. They can, they can be... You know, the, the course of judgment can be altered by the cunningness of the lawyers. And all those kind of things can be corrupted. But brothers and sisters, this evening, when we see God for who he is, he is a righteous judge. Uh, truth will prevail. 
There's going to be no lawyers that are going to change the judgments of God. There's no bribes to be bought off. God's righteous judgments are, are, are true. They're sure. Uh, the man that, the soul that sinneth, he shall die. The person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life is going to be saved from all the judgment and the condemnation of sin. Talks about God's excellent loving kindness. Uh, the other thing it says in verse 7, it says, O oh God, therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wing. God is fully trustworthy. God is just, he is right. We can, we can entrust our lives into his care, into his keeping. And then it talks about the response or the experience of man that, that sits back, he looks at God, he takes God at his word, he revers God, he yields his heart and his life into his hand. He says, they shall be abundantly satisfied with fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them to the drink of the water the river, a drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in light, in thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness unto the upright at heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. This evening, as we think of who God is, what is your view of God this evening? Do you recognize him as the creator, the sustainer, the one who is truly right in all his ways, the one who is holy, the one who is pure? You know, we live in a world today that, that, that rejects God for who he says he is. And yet, to the believer, you know, we can know him. Uh, we, can, we can trust in him. We can have our heart surrendered to him and through Jesus Christ we can walk in a relationship with him so we go back into 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 it says there that having therefore these promises uh, speaking of the, the promises of chapter 6 that if we if we turn away from 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 wickedness just turning back to those verses in chapter um, 6 of 2nd Corinthians it says in verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord, uh, Lord Almighty. What precious promises. And then he goes on in verse, chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, we come back again to the fear of God, the, the, the awe, the, the need to reverence him for who he is. Uh, this evening I ask, what is your perception of God? You know, who do you see him? Do you see him as, as, as almighty, uh, the righteous, uh, all righteous and, and holy do you see him as the one who has created all things? Do you see him as the one in whose very life, who in, very, who in whose very hand our life exists? You know, if that's who we see him, you know, there is going to be a reverential fear and a respect and an honor for him. But, you know, if we, if we take the modern view that, 
you know, God is kind of who you make him to be. You know, there's going to be a casualness about life. There's going to be a yielding to a sinful habits of life. Brothers and sisters, this evening, God is the eternal, the almighty, the one that has created, the one who is, is all righteous in his judgments and in his ways. And he is calling us as humanity to, to bow down before him, to worship him, to, to see him for who he is, and to yield our lives into his hand, for he is worthy. This evening, I don't think I'm going to give an open invitation, but the thought is this evening, we live in a society where there is a lot of false concept about God. And we will never, we will never become more holy and more righteous than we see God himself being. You know, God, our view of God is going to control the things we do and don't do in life. And so this evening, I trust that we will be a people who will reverence God for who he is and not, not follow the philosophies of our day of a casual God or a God that who does not exist, or a God who is not powerful like he says he is. We serve a holy God this evening. I want to thank you for your attention this evening. I invite you back again tomorrow evening, come praying. And I see there's quite a few children here this evening, so I think maybe tomorrow evening we'll have a children's meeting before the message, so keep that in mind. And then I'll maybe again on Thursday night, we'll try and have another one. So we invite you back again tomorrow evening. And uh, at this time, let's stand for a word of prayer and for dismissal. Our Father in heaven, we pause before you this evening. We recognize you as the one who is eternally preexistent, the one who... Uh, was before the recorded history that we have today. We recognize you as the one who has created all things visible and invisible. We recognize you as the author of life, the, the sustainer of life. We recognize you as the author of eternal salvation. Father, we recognize you as, as, as the only true and the living God the only one who uh, can give us life and, and, and eternal life. And so, Father, this evening we simply want to reverence you. We recognize you as the one who is holy in all your ways. We recognize you as the one who is righteous. Uh, we recognize you as the one who is faithful in all your ways. And so, Father, we just want to worship you this evening. And, Father, as we go through... Life, may we continue to worship and to reverence you. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to redeem us. Even though we have gone our own ways and, and rebelled against you, you sent your son Jesus to, again, redeem us back to yourself. We simply thank and praise you for that this evening. We pray now that you be with us as we go to our respective homes. We pray that 
your blessing might accompany us. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit be with us both now and forever. Amen.